If you have your Bibles with you, and if not, I believe they will have it up here. Uh, the question I want to look at today is, what if Jesus had never been born? And I want to read for us Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is the way it reads. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while we, she was still a virgin, she came pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. <clears throat> but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. I love history. Is anyone here with me on that? Love history. History is a wonderful thing just to kind of look at that. Anyone right now in college thinking, I don't like history? I had to take Western Civ. I didn't really enjoy it. Bunch of facts. How boring. How sleepy. Anybody? Okay, I see one hand raised there. Although you were doing your hair. I'm just playing with you. You're doing your hair. I love history. I love history. But, you know, this is a, a weird genre called alternate history. I like alternate history because alternate history asks the question, what if? In other words, what if what happened didn't happen, and what if this happened instead? For those of you that like history, does anyone remember Dunkirk, World War II? The importance of Dunkirk. Had the Germans pressed their advantage, the thinking goes that World War II probably would have ended then and there. It would have been the United States and maybe a small smattering of allies to take on the Axis powers, and it would have probably ended there. So what if Dunkirk had not happened and the 300,000-plus soldiers had not escaped to England? We would probably be living in a different world today. What we probably don't realize is that in American history, during the Revolution, the United States at that time also had a Dunkirk event. On August 27, 1776, as the British were moving in towards George Washington's army on Long Island in New York, they stopped, thinking, we can take them tomorrow. The weather set in, I think by the hand of God and 9,000 soldiers escaped Long Island to live and fight for freedom. What if the British had pressed their attack that day? We might not very well be sitting here. Now, I don't know about you. That kind of stirs me because you think, like, what if something else happened? How would life, our lives, be different? And I wonder to myself, though this really isn't a good question, what if Jesus had never been born? What if in some way, shape, or form, God thinks differently? How, how, how would things be for us 
as people? Where would we be this Sunday morning? Would we be doing something else? And would we even name it Sunday? Maybe we would name it something else. So I want to look at this passage in Matthew chapter 1, and I, I want to look at a series of things that I call wows. Like, wow, wow, wow. And the first one that I want us to look at, which I think is important, is that Jesus came to save us from our sins. So if you go back to verse 21, and we read it this way, it says, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Wow. You see, the name Jesus or Joshua means God saves. So I don't know if you realize that when we were singing that song, God saves, what you really were saying was the name of Jesus. So if we sang the song again, you could say Jesus, 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 God saves. Now, what if Jesus hadn't been born? What would have happened to our sins? But to understand this, I think first and foremost, we have to define what sin is. So in order for me to uh, enjoy the pleasure of being with you here today, I'm going to ask you, what are some of the things or sins that people, not you, of course, have to struggle with? Anybody? Pride. Yeah, definitely pride. What does pride say? Pride says, I don't need God, or pride says, I'm better than all of you here. Now, if I said that to you right now, okay, I'm going to be honest. I really am better than all of you here. You know that, right? I'm the pastor, right? What, what are you thinking, right? Like, dude, man, <laughs> you're all backing up because you're waiting for the lightning to strike, right? Pride, pride, not good. Anything else? I know there's others. Don't be afraid. Luckily, all the um, abanims and omanims are sitting in front, so they get a free pass. <laughs> <laughs> what else gluttony yes gluttony that is i shared that i think last week that is my issue i love to eat which is why when you look at that picture and you see this picture there is a difference i have recognized over the years i have given into gluttony over and over again because when you're down i like comfort food I like to eat. It comforts me. What else? One more. I'm sorry? Selfishness. Well, let's say selfishness can show itself in anger, right? Like when you're in the morning. This does not happen at this church, I'm sure. You're in the morning, you're getting ready, and your kids are laying on the floor. And you're like, dude, we have to go to church, and let's go, and let's move. And then you leave to take care of your stuff. You come back, and they're still laying on the floor. What happens? There's a sense of anger that we feel because we want to be there on time. Come on, man. You do this all throughout the week. We need to be there. So there's a whole bunch of sins, the seven deadly sins that we experience. But when we look at sin like that, I don't know if we really understand what sin is. I think, Hannah, you hit it on the head when you said selfishness. Because to me, the way I define sin is like this. Sin is not loving God and not loving others as God has commanded. So yes, that includes pride. It includes anger, gluttony, greed, lust, envy, sloth, the seven deadly sins. It includes all of them, but it all goes back to the simple fact that in our selfishness, our sin is revealed by the fact that we do not love God like we are supposed to, and we do not like others or love others like we are supposed to. So we are supposed to depend and trust on God, but when we say, no, I'm going to do it my way, 
we sin because in our heart, we say, I don't love you. I don't trust you. I'm going to do it my way, my selfish way. When you begin to see that sin is selfishness, you take it out of the realm of action and put it into attitude. Because sometimes even the good things that we do, if we're really honest, we're doing them just because we want someone or something and we really love ourselves. Try this with your kids. When they ask you for something and you tell them, and you know that they have a strong attitude, and you tell them, I will do this for you. In other words, you can have that sleepover, but only if you don't do this. Has anyone ever noticed how good your kids can suddenly get? Or am I the only one who has kids like that? Right? Now, again, I know that you guys just ruined your strategy. You're all sitting there. Why are we listening to this guy? He ruined my strategy. You got to let my parents do things. I'm just saying it comes down to a heart attitude. And if you really think about it, can we just stop for a moment? And if you really looked at your heart attitude and really had to wonder, who am I really from the heart? Like if I had to really truly express myself and let people know how I think and feel, personally, I would be stunned as to how selfish and sinful I am. Let me give you a little example because it goes from the little things to the big things. How many of you have been to the DMV recently? Anybody? You have to set up an appointment, and the appointment sometimes takes months. And for me and my wife, uh, drove our daughter uh, to college, coming in August, got stopped by the police. The police officer looks at my, my wife's driver's license. She was driving. That's the honest truth. And he says, ma'am, your license is expired. And I'm like, oh, no. huge ticket. But he says, you know what? The state of Illinois has now given a policy for you to get six months before you have to renew your license, so you're safe on that one. So this month, November, we get our driver's license, and you wait for it to come in to the mail. And it came into the mail. I gave it to my wife. I said, here's your driver's license. Here's the envelope. A few days ago, she says, I can't find the envelope with my driver's license. Guess what I said? I said, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We get to go back to the DMV. No, I didn't say that. You know what I told my wife? I said, you know what? If you can't find that, just call up the state of Illinois and tell them you haven't received it yet. Who did that? That's what my wife did. She said, you want me to lie? <laughs> and my response, the conviction of the Holy Spirit should have hit me. My response was, yes, because I don't want to go back through that again. You see, it's that selfishness. It's a little thing. It's the big things, too, that trap us. Like when we struggle with the anger and the envy and the laziness of the sloth or the lust or the pride as to think how great we are. I mean, we have to look. When I mentioned that I believed that I was in the top 1% of drivers, what was that? Pride, sin, selfishness. I'm better than you. It's not loving God. It's not loving others as God has commanded us to love. So when you understand what sin is and how much it pervades our life, you begin to understand those simple words, and he will save his people from their sins, from their pride, from their anger, from their greed, from their gluttony, from their lust, from their envy, from their sloth. 
He will forgive all of that because they don't really love me. They really don't love others. And they love themselves more than anything else. And when you begin to think about how deeply rooted that love of self is within our hearts, you have to stand back and say, wow. God actually planned to send his one and only son, Jesus, to save me from our sins. Wow. And not just me, but you and you and you and you and you and everyone that we know. An infinite sacrifice for a finite but incredibly gargantuan amount of sin. That is why Jesus was born. What if Jesus was born? Then we don't have this person who saves us from our sin. And here's the crazy thing. In Romans chapter 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, people who did not love God like we were supposed to, people who do not love God and others like they're supposed to, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's amazing to think that Jesus had a choice even before we made our choices. And it speaks of a forgiveness of sin, which is past, present, and future, even though at the time that Jesus died, in our chronology, all of our sin was still future. To sit back and go, wow, God still loved me and gave his son. Now think about this. For those of you that are not married, I would like to be your matchmaker, okay? So uh, anyone here have a um, strong constitution, really self-aware and confident in who they are, even though I use this illustration, you will not leave damaged. Anyone here not married like that? Anybody? No, come on, there has to be somebody. Any, any, okay, how, we'll do this. Anyone a sophomore in college? Oh, yeah, okay, all right. Okay, and your name is? In blue, yes. Yeah, yeah. Sister, they're throwing you under the bus, man. They don't care. Uh, go ahead. Could you stand up for a second? I'm sorry. This, it won't be painful. It won't be, it won't be painful. Your name is? Anna. Okay, Anna, thank you very much. You kind of feel like those little kids right now, like, right? Everybody's looking at you, and it's like, wow, that's crazy. Okay, Anna, I'm a matchmaker. I'm a great matchmaker, and I think I have found you the perfect husband. Someone just for you. And I want you to know, he will never be faithful to you. You're in, right? Why are you giving that face? You're giving it because why would anyone want to do that? That is the most, you can sit down now, Anna. Be blessed. Don't worry, this has nothing to do with you. I have not cursed you in any way, shape, and form. And may whoever you meet for the rest of your life, may you always be happy. But here's my point. Who would want to marry someone knowing they will never be faithful to you? None of us. And yet God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He looked, he saw unfaithfulness, and he said, I'm all in. Isn't that crazy? Can't you just step back and say, wow. The fact that when I really look at myself, and take an honest evaluation of myself, 
And when I realize I do not love God and I do not love others, but I really love myself, and the fact that Jesus would say, I'm all for you. I will die for you. I will take all that sin upon the cross for you makes me step back and say, wow, that God would actually do that for me. First John 1 John 1.9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness, past, present, future. Forgiveness. Jesus will be born because he will, what, save his people from their sins. He will forgive them. But it doesn't stop there. That's the crazy thinking. It doesn't stop there. Completely forgiven? Awesome. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the NLT says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So not only are we forgiven and cleansed, but now God gives to us another gift, his righteousness, so that we could actually be in fellowship with him. So it's not like, hey, your debt is forgiven, go your way. It's your debt is forgiven, and now I want to give you more. Now, how many of you have debt here? Anyone have debt? Okay, how much? No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to know how much. If you have debt, especially if you're in college right now and you're looking at that debt and going, oh, my goodness. If you're a medical doctor, all the debts you have, you have uh, whether it's a home or a car or whatever, you have a lot of debt. And some people are swimming and drowning in debt. But imagine this. Imagine that a bank president, the bank that you go to, comes up to you one day and he says, come on into the office. And you're like, oh, man, I have so much debt. Uh, they're just going to, they're just going to, it's over, man. I don't know what I'm going to do. You sit down, and the president looks you in the eye and says, listen, your debt is whatever the number is. And he says, you know what? Here's the good news. We are actually going to take all that debt away from you. How many of you would be happy right now? I don't hear one amen, and I should hear all kinds of amens, right? Because to be free from debt, can I tell you something? True experience. My three first three kids earned me $108,000 worth of debt. Can I tell you something? That debt will be gone on December 23rd, a few days from now. Why? Because I have a public service loan forgiveness. I'm about to be forgiven all of that. Now, you tell me how I'm feeling. Disappointed? Grieving? Worried? I'm ecstatic. I cannot tell you how happy I am. Now, think. Imagine the president says, that's all forgiven, but you know what? Here's my credit card. It is an unlimited balance, so you spend Whatever you want, however you want. Now, how are you feeling? Anybody? Amen, brother. I am into that plan. You take all my debt and you give me unlimited riches? Wow. Gospel home run. That is what God has done. When Jesus was born to save his people from their sins, he wiped out the complete debt 
And then as we learn here in 2 Corinthians 5, he gave us his righteousness and said, now you have unlimited riches. Just like it says in Ephesians, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So when we're reading Matthew 121, and it says, for he will save his people from their sins, the only thing that I think a person could and should do is say, wow. This is absolutely amazing that God would do this for me and for everyone else in the world. Here's another wow for us. Let's go down to verse 23. It says this. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. We celebrate Christmas because God became man. Now, you look at that, and you got to think for a minute, well, what was it like for Jesus before this? If you can imagine that in glory, as Jesus sat on the throne next to his father, 24-7, he heard the angels say praise. Praise to our God. Praise to our God. Praise to our God. He had everything. And yet, chose deliberately to humble himself step down from eternity, step into our world, live with the sorrow that he would live with, knowing that what he had created was so marred by sin, to die on a cross for that sin, which we just learned, and then what? To be buried, to rise again, and to sit at the right hand of God. That is the God who is with us. Now let me put this in terms of our modern language. How many of you know who Bernard Arnault is? If you know who he is, I will let one of the elders take you out for lunch after service. Does anyone know who he is? I know who he is. Okay, you do. Your name is? Sam. Okay, Sam, lay it on us, bro. Dude, you are totally right. I am impressed. Okay, if they don't take you out for lunch sometime soon, I will be disappointed for you. I'll take you out to lunch if they don't. That is awesome. But what you left out is he currently, if I understand correctly, because I looked it up on the Internet and everything here on the Internet is true, I currently realized he is the richest man in the world right now. And as I was reading this article, you know what's crazy? The poor billionaires, the hundreds of plus billionaires actually lost $500 billion last year as a combined group. Isn't that sad? Doesn't that that make you grieve? Not at all, because their combined worth is like 12 plus trillion dollars. Could you imagine him? Now, now listen here now. Imagine Bernard Anault has a son, and him and his son are talking, and they realize we are so disgustingly rich, we hate being rich. We want to bless people. And how are we going to do this? And Bernard's uh, son, we'll call him Leonard. I don't know if it's true. Please don't take that as truth. He says, you know what, Dad? I want to give up all this money, not give it away, but I want to give it up, 
and I want to go into the poorest parts of the world, and I want to train and teach people how to manage their money in a way in which they can prosper. And that's a great idea, son. I like that. Uh, but you know, son, when you do this, I want you to know, after doing that for three years, the government's going to come, and they're going to kill you brutally. So I hope you're ready for that, but just go and do it. Can you imagine what his son might say? I mean, it's cool up to the part where you're teaching people stuff, but then to realize that you have to suffer and die through all of this, and when you realize that's exactly what Jesus did, and that the trillions that these trillionaires have compares to nothing that the richest God has, for Jesus to say, I will do this for the joy to glorify you, one, and then to bring all these people to you, two, I am all in. Step back and say what? Wow. Wow. Because when we read those words, that he will save his people from their sins, and that God is with us, we should be wow. That when we celebrate Christmas, the big old wow is that God has come to draw us to himself. You know, normally when we think about Jesus, our focus is on what? The fact that Jesus came and he died for our sins. He was on the cross. But here's the beauty of it. It doesn't end at the cross. It doesn't end at the cross. It's like, wow, the cross has happened. Everything is cool. It doesn't end when Jesus is dead and buried. It doesn't end when he rises from the dead. It ends when he once again is seated upon the throne next to his father as he has ascended into heaven. And one day when he will returns, he will bring it all to an end. All of this to say when we look at really who am I? What if Jesus was never born? I'd be lost for good. But he did. And he came to give life, to remove death, to take away our sin, and to give us righteousness. To take us from darkness to bring us into light. From death into life. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we rejoice that Jesus was born and we never have to ask the question, what if he wasn't? Because he was and we can see all that he has done for you and me and the world in which we live in. Because God so loved the world that he did give his only son so that we might experience eternal life which is not long life, but remember Enoch last week, a quality of life that we can live now and forever. And this is why we rejoice that Jesus was born. Let's pray. <clears throat> Rather than me blah, 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 blah for a minute, can I just ask for about a minute and a half of silence and just ask you to reflect on wow wow and then I'll pray for us and then our worship team will finish
Father, help me to limit my prayer to just a simple word of praise and rejoicing. Wow. Wow. Let that wow stick with us, not just for today, not just for this week, or even December 25th when we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus, but always. You are good. You are loving. You are holy. You are God. Amen.